Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider. I am Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. John, how are you, sir? You've had a, a whirlwind couple of weeks here, both with uh, training camp, a little bit of, as we mentioned last week, some some kudos your way for an increase in responsibilities over at Cincy Jungle. So uh, you, you staying afloat, my friend. Yeah, I, I know you. I know you've been busy. Staying afloat. That's, that's all we. That's all we can do, I guess, nowadays. Now that football season's picking back up, you know. Yep. And uh, for those, John uh, has been gracious enough to to join us, especially recently. And and uh, hopefully he's going to continue to be kind of a regular co-host on the program. He also, in case you don't know, is on a, a podcast with former Cincy Jungle member Daddy-O McDuck over at the uh, the Bengals Wire with USA Today. Um, there's there's is a weekly show, too. Right, John? Uh, it, it could be weekly. It's <laughs> it's, it's, it's been been kind of on and off but it should be, should be coming back to a more stable um stable uploading schedule as the season goes on yeah with training camp and preseason all that good stuff so uh aside from checking out our lovely podcast of course go check out john uh and daddy-o's good stuff over at the bagels wire and uh you know they've got a good show and uh daddy-o's very creative and uh, we miss him at Cincy jungle but he's he's doing some good stuff so that's cool i'm glad you've you've uh latched on with him there too john We're, we've got a lot to get to uh tonight John is going to talk a little bit. He was at training camp, Bengals training camp practice uh, the other day, so he's going to talk to us about some impressions, uh, some of the position groups that impressed, and basically we're going to kind of talk about some some overall impressions and possible improvements that we're seeing this year as compared to maybe the past couple of seasons. Excited to uh, to talk about that with John. Uh, we're going to give some, obviously, some, some updates about some players and, and happenings at camp, so we're excited to do that. We've got a couple announcements that we're going to make, some exciting announcements. We'll get to that later in the show. We're going to talk about our favorite kind of specific moments in uh, as being Bengals fans and some memories associated with that. And I'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. And then, of course, time permitting, we're going to try and get to some listener questions as well. So leave those on the th- comment thread at cincyjungle.com. Uh, if you're in the live YouTube chat, go ahead and shoot those there. And we... We've got a little surprise in store for you, too, on that front, and I'll get to that a little later. So um, hit us up there. We're on Twitter at BanglesOBI as well, theobinsider at gmail.com. We are accessible there as well, so get in touch with us. And, of course, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, after the uh, either during the live session for YouTube or after the fact on those other channels, and we appreciate your support. We are almost at 1,000 subscribers, John. Yay! On, on, on YouTube, yeah, on, on on YouTube. So I think we're only uh, at least earlier today we we're about four people away. So subscribe to that YouTube channel and get all of our content there. So John, I guess the big news has been on offense for Bengals training camp this this year, this week. You know, everything. It's it, the the eyes have been on the Bengals offense now. 
obviously the offensive line is is a big thing and the biggest most important thing we talked last week about the most interesting and the most important camp battles and i think we said maybe offensive line isn't the most interesting but it's probably the most important going away from that for a minute because i know you're going to talk a little bit about that with your with your camp observations but tyler eifert's back um that's big news, and it's kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek reference. Tyler Eifert's back because Andrew back, you know. Well, okay. Ha, 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 ha. So talk about the impact, obviously, that he has on the team, how he maybe looked at the practice. Again, not, not really padded practices, not much contact, all that kind of stuff, but how he looked out there. And are you surprised, based on past history, what we've heard this off season that he was back so quickly. He, was, he only missed a couple of practices mm-hmm. and there were, there were questions that he might not even be ready week one. Right. Um, so with that, like I was completely expecting once he was placed on the pup or the active pup list, I was expecting, you know, he's missing all like practices before the first preseason game. And then he might like start getting integrated back in maybe in a second or third. Honestly, we had no idea what the timetable was with his, with his back because of anything with Eifert, it's always a mystery about what his, his medical issues are. So when I saw him on the field on Monday at training camp, I'm like, is that, is that really number 85? But I saw the mullet and it was him. And <laughs> yeah. honestly, he looked like a guy who passed his physical, which he just did. You know, he looks like, you know how healthy Eifert usually looks. He looked fluid. He looked nimble. He didn't look like he was working against any nagging injuries in any way. And that's huge because Eifert, when he's healthy, is one of the better route running tight ends in the National Football League. He's so valuable in in this offense because you can line him up in wide tight end. You can line him up in the slide. You can even line him up outside. And he's great on third down, but he's also one of the better better red zone. Uh, targets in the in the NFL and just having that in the offense is so valuable to take away attention from AJ Green and to give Dahl that like safety valve uh, over the middle of the field. But just in practice, he wasn't um, blocking or lining up in line to, for any like contact purposes. But he they didn't hold him back as a receiver. Like he ran you know all the routes. Like defenders weren't letting up on him on in contested catch situations. He came down a few times a little hard um, at the catch point with the defender all over him but he got back up like nothing was wrong so i don't think that he was brought back too early based off what he or or how he did and i think they're confident that this progressive schedule of workload is going to be good for him to implement him eventually into getting into football shape yeah you know last week you you made a joke about like hey maybe it was last week or the week before or something like that about hey i'm cool if he doesn't even practice in training camp just ride the bike and you know and i've seen some some similar comments on on cincy jungle i get it he's had major injury issues and a lot of times it's been in scenarios the pro bowl where he hurt his ankle and useless scenarios that he did not need to get hurt in um and you know obviously the Bengals lost him for extended periods of time however he didn't play really last year mm-hmm. and he's missed. He, he's been rehabbing and doing all this stuff. I understand being cautious with him. I totally agree. But I think that it's, I think it's a pretty good move to still get him out there, at least from a conditioning perspective. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, maybe, maybe shy away from some of the contact and maybe you give him a day of rest here and there or whatever. But, uh, you know, we've seen guys that sit out training camp or have, have not had, like I go back to Vontez Perfect, who unfortunately has a little bit of a, an issue with conditioning and staying in shape in the offseason once he arrives at training camp. But 
you know, there was, a, I, I think it was a couple of years ago, he had like the micro fracture surgery on his knee and he couldn't really work out that much. And then it, he was really kind of behind in training camp. And then, you know, conditioning wise, it, it, he didn't really catch up until a few games into the season. So, I, you know, I get the cautious nature and, and everybody wanting Eifert for the most important times of, of the season, which is obviously the regular season and possibly postseason. But, you know, he's got to get into shape and he's got to be ready to, to contribute for them, which uh, it sounds like he's he looks like he's not missing too much of a beat after missing so much time. So that's that's good to hear. And that's exactly what he was refer- like was talking about to the first practice because he was talking about, you know, reading the playbook and getting adjusted to that is one thing, but actually being out there and getting a feel for that and just, you know, having that experience with Dalton in, in this new offense. It's so critical for just. Um, getting comfortable, you know, on the field and that kind of stuff. And like with Eifert, you know, he, 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 regardless if he had practiced with the team, he would have done like his own, like off, like off field drills and stuff to keep him in somewhat shape, but just the getting acclimated with the rest of the group, just building that chemistry back up. That, that is obviously the biggest thing uh, also with you know, taking on contact and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So he's, he's back out there practicing and, uh, seemingly contributing in, in some form or another. And then obviously aside from the tight end group in the, and the, and the offensive line group is the wide receivers. And there might not be a more glowing report of a position group than that of the Bengals wide receivers in this year's training camp. Obviously AJ green, we already know who he is going to probably be in the hall of fame at some point. Uh, you know, you, you've got Brandon LaFell, who's kind of the somewhat steady veteran and, you know, some other guys in there, but the young guys have really stepped up. Josh Malone has had a nice camp. Unfortunately, he hurt his hamstring. Um, but really the two people that everybody keeps talking about, aside from Malone, John Ross and Adam Tate. Let's start with Ross. From the videos I've seen, there are times where, you know, they've done some go routes and, and deep balls to him. And there are times where he looks like he's pretty tightly covered. And then a bit down the field, you see that extra gear. You see that yep. extra gear, and you see that that's the guy that who was at Washington, and the guy that just can break a game open. And uh, there's kind of a maybe a little bit of a Deshaun Jackson comparison in terms of size, spe- size, speed, all that kind of stuff. Did what did you see from him at camp? And um, you know, are, are you? It's hard not to be impressed with what he's shown so far, especially after essentially wasting his rookie year right mm-hmm. and even last camp when i went down he it, it just his speed and quickness is just so surreal to watch in person because like everybody in the nfl is usually quick like receivers and cornerbacks are quick but then you see like you know cornerbacks are you know the cornerbacks of the Bengals are going step for step like within the first five ten yards and then it looks like the cornerbacks are just like going to slow motion as they get further and further down the field. Ross is just going the same speed. And that's just, that's just what he is. That's just his main threat. It's just, he's just fast everywhere. And you know, however long the route is and that quickness and suddenness is so crucial for the Bengals offense because they just haven't had anybody besides AJ green getting consistent separation as a boundary receiver per se. And to, to get open quickly so Andy Dalton get the ball out of his hands to someone other than AJ Green is so crucial, not only for Dalton, but also for Green because more attention is taken away from him. You don't have safeties bracketed over the top because they have to account for Ross. And I think a lot of, uh, obviously, and Ross was dealing with um, uh, recovering from an injury, a labrum injury that he suffered uh, 
his rookie year, his offseason of his rookie year. So he was still kind of managing that, but now he's completely healthy and he just looks completely comfortable. And I think with all the receivers, I think they are more comfortable in this this re this uh, refreshed Bill Laser offense because of the way that it's set up with with play calling and stuff. They uh, LaFell mentioned how it's a lot similar to a, a traditional air coil system where they have where a lot of the um, a lot of the formations and play calls are are designated by um, di digit symbols and whatnot, and that um, that whole process is making it a lot easier for receivers to pick it up quickly and play a lot more comfortable and faster. So now you have one of the best athletes at the position who's playing in an offense that's comfortable to him, who's now completely healthy. As long as he stays healthy, you know the sky truly is the limit for that guy in this offense. Yeah, and it's funny you say the. The, in terms of the ease of, of players grasping things, that seems to be a very big theme uh, in a number of different position groups, wide receiver being one offensive line. You've heard, uh, you know, kind of Frank Pollock kind of saying the same things over and over again in terms of when he's coaching up his players. And then we've heard some things, uh, I believe it was from uh, Dre Kirkpatrick in an interview, kind of a cool interview with Rebecca Toback of SB Nation mm -hmm. and Cincy Jungle. They, they went, hit like a, a driving range together. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Um, but it, it, he talked about the not overthinking, and, and maybe that's why one of the reasons why the Bengals felt such a compelling need to make changes at some of these coordinator positions, assistant coach positions, um, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, Ross exciting. And now there's, there's Alden Tate, the guy who was the mini camp star. Now he's the training camp star. And it's, it's really hard for me. I look at, I look at the, the live YouTube chat, Drewski 2012 Alden Tate can be really special. Um, Raven life, 1372. I think Alden Tate can match Eifert's red zone production if he adds 10 pounds and moves to tight end we also had uh even though we're not taking listener questions quite yet but carlos andre regular regular listener uh sent us a tweet that says if i eifert isn't healthy by week one which we just talked about it looks like he will be by all indications do you think tate can quote unquote steal his role as the quote big red zone target i you know this is all great that he's playing well and he looks good in the practices and he's making these ridiculous catches and he's a big guy. It's just, we've seen this song and dance before with other players exactly. that, that are down there. And, and when it comes to the, to the preseason games or opportunities they do get, maybe they don't step up. I'm hoping for the kid that he does because he seems to have some talent, but I think we should kind of maybe slow the roll a little bit. Um, in terms of, hey, is he going to be the, the team leader in touchdowns this year because of the red zone opportunity? I think we should slow the roll a little bit. But did did he stand out to you at the practice or practices that you attended um, at all? He got my first tweet for over 2,000 likes in my, my Twitter career. That's right. That one one-handed one catch, which I, I was looking over it, and like if I can act it out this one, he's just running like a little fader out. And like he just completely toasts I look off the line of scrimmage. But like it, it looks like it's just a regular like this catch, but his 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 arm like arches back over his back and he like catches it just like almost Odell size where Odell wise where like the notice the ball just lands right into his palm and it like just just watching over and over, it just looks more impressive than it actually was. And it obviously got a huge draw from the crowd and stuff like that. But it's hard to it's hard to not notice Tate when he's on the field, obviously, because of how big and and tall he is and how he just 
dominates over uh, defensive backs. But like we've talked about, like practice in this like scenario in this like atmosphere is perfect for Tate because he's so much more physical than anybody else. And then in these one-on-one drills and these red zone drills, it just you just throw it up to him and he'll just come down with it. But I I think the perfect example for any like receiver hype in training camp for the Bengals was Cody Core. I remember on Bengals.com last year, it was like after OTAs, Cody Core was supposedly supposed to steal the number one, number two receiver role after having like a great uh, spring practice. He ended up catching zero balls in his sophomore year. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that's going to be Tate's fate if he makes the roster. I don't want to take away anything great that Tate has done in, in training camp. And he has done some great things, but it is just training camp so far. He is still a seventh round pick. And I think the premise of, you know, Tate, maybe not finding a, a role like a, a prominent role at least in the red zone this year is just based off like usual tendencies that you know define like some roster decisions that the Bengals usually end up making maybe Tate is that exceptional I would love for him to be that exception because I think he can he can be such an asset based off the things that he's done based off the based off the kind of player that he is it's just more of a wait and see kind of approach because like you said we've seen you know, receivers get hyped up in, you know, training camp and mini camp for the Bengals and then just not doing anything. Maybe this is different though. Yeah. It's funny. First of all, I can't believe I forgot about that tweet because I did see it and I think I did either like or retweet that thing. Cause that was, that was a pretty cool video. When I first, I, I had to watch it like three or four times. Right. Because I was like, Oh wow. Great catch. He got the one foot down. Well, it turns out he actually, as the ball was, it, you I, think really, I, think I think he, he got, got two. two. <laughs> I think he got two. I think he got two. And so, like you don't really see it so much because you're kind of focused on the backside of his body where he's making the catch and his other foot and all that kind of stuff. But it, it, if you kind of really, really focus on that one first foot, it looks like he kind of has it down as he's making that catch and then brings the other one down. But regardless, I mean, yeah, practice, nice catch and practice, all that kind of stuff. But uh, he has been – people just keep talking about him, keep talking about him, keep talking about him. It just is going to be interesting to see, number one, if he makes the team, number two, if he does, what's his role going to be and if he will have any kind of impact that he's having in these practices. Or number three, if he doesn't make the team, you know, this is always a fear every year and somehow, you know, we kind of hype these guys up, they get cut, they go on the practice squad and we're so worried that they're going to get stolen, get stolen and we've seen so many guys just still sit on the Bengals practice squad, even after impressive camps and practices and all that kind of stuff. Again, doesn't mean that people aren't watching Tate, uh, but you know, I let's keep the hype train going, I guess, but let's kind of slow down the expectations maybe a little. Uh, if you guys, if everybody thinks that Tate's going to be this, uh, this team leading red zone touchdown machine uh, in the regular season, I hope he plays well in the preseason, though, because I think he does have talent and size. It's just a matter of, you know, finding a niche for him and, and working that out. But, you know, we've talked about him a couple times now on this show because it just he keeps making a name for himself. And it's better if he's not doing anything. Yeah. Preseason. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking Bengals updates in training camp as well as observations with John Sheeran of uh, SB Nation and Cincy Jungle since he was at practices – it was this week. It was this week, right? Last week. Monday, yeah, yeah. Monday. Okay. Um, you know, you you saw a lot there, and uh, we appreciate you telling telling us your observations. We're going to get to more in just a second here. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, at CincyJungle.com, and you can get in touch with us on Twitter at BengalsOBI via email, theobinsider at gmail.com. I guess now we got to go offensive line, John. 
um, just kind of continuing with your observations there. I've seen and heard, unfortunately, geographically, I can't get to practice. Uh, just, <laughs> I can't do it. Um, but I, we've seen and heard some, you know, obviously as, as the spring kind of built up and we've seen some things from Frank Pollock in the offensive line. Uh, let me just tell you a couple things that I saw and, and or heard. And I can't remember if the Billy Price video was yours or from another person I follow on. Um, it, it was a nice Joe Mixon run. And uh, I saw Billy Price in maybe the fourth or fifth practice of the season, training camp practice, do something that we rarely saw Russell Bodine do effectively. And that is get to the second level and make a nice block on a quality linebacker and Preston Brown to spring the play again. Limited pads, limited contact. We know how that kind of stuff goes, but it was a nice play. And Price made a nice block on that play. Now, it sounds as if the offensive line is playing better. Carlos Dunlap recently made um, made a comment saying that, you know, Frank Pollock's turning them into quote-unquote fighters. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, are, are you seeing it? It's always hard to tell what the offense is doing in training camps because, you know, the tempo is different than, you know, regular gameplay and all that kind of stuff. But are you seeing a difference up front in terms of quality of play already? And did you see that on Monday? For the most part, I have and now like they've only had two, you know, fully padded practices. Right. So there's only two days of any tangible observations that can be made. Um, the, the practice that I went to, there was a lot of goal line stuff and the offense, mm. the, the offense and defense kind of traded blows and that kind of stuff. But um, I think both sides of, of the fronts are pretty looking pretty decent right now. Obviously, the second team defensive line is owning the second team offensive line because they don't really have quality depth at, on the offensive line. But just stick with the offensive line. Cordy Glenn, in the time that I've seen him, he looks he looks pretty good. He looks pretty healthy, which is more important than anything because we know he's a, he's a above average left tackle in the NFL. Um, Price, besides a few snap issues, has looked really good. Uh, just getting movement at the point of attack versus whether it being Chris, Chris Baker or Andrew Billings, who by the way has been kind of splitting with Chris Baker as the, uh, the team's first string nose tackle. Mm. So that, that, that's been pretty, that's been pretty good to see sprung open a couple of a good inside runs. Like the, like the one that you talked about that I tweeted out and how he um, kind of just chipped off of Billings and moved up to Brown in the second level. So th the athleticism was one of the biggest questions that i had with price because he didn't test at the combine so i wasn't kind of sure what kind of athlete that he was but he looks pretty quick and he looks pretty um pretty agile i guess which is a lot more than what we could what we could say about bodine and the right side i think it needs i, I wrote about this in the observations piece that i wrote there, there are no like favorites at right guard or right tackle right now i think they're literally just picking names out of a bucket and just throwing him out there on the first string just to get everybody experienced as you know with the three guys on the left side um in the in the first team offensive line because you know they're they're, they're really trying whatever works and that's fine as long as the better guys win and from what i've seen from them bobby hart is just you know kind of looks like bobby hart out there there's nothing a lot to see as of yet and we're going to see more of that you know as they have more padded practices and whatnot, but so far they look a lot more, you know, a lot more aggressive, a lot more of what Pollock has been kind of preaching. And that's good to see because, you know, the offensive line, um, it, it, it needed, it needed a refresher of just the mentality. And I think that's exactly what Pollock is bringing. But as of now, it, the, 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 the sign is pointing up, I would say. 
Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. And it sounds like, uh, it just sounds like there's a difference. And, um, you know, I think in, in any job now, the NFL and being a professional football player isn't like any, you know, no more blue collar, white collar type of job or what have you. But anytime there is a management or upper upper executive shakeup, uh, the people that are above you, and in the NFL's case, that's management and coaches. Anytime there's a shakeup there, especially when you've when someone's been there for a long time, you you, you kind of you know you, you straighten up for a while. You right. you know you you want to you want to put your best foot forward, and you want to uh, make sure that you impress or. Uh, live up to the reputation you may have already built for yourself. And, uh, you know, if, if you were slacking or doing certain things, maybe you cut that out at least temporarily uh, for, for new, you know, new management, new coaches, that sort of thing. So, I mean, at least temporarily, this sounds like it's, it's going to be a positive. My thing for the right side of the line, John, is yes, of course, I want them to find the two best guys and to find long-term solutions. My my question is, because this we know this team is slow to move, slow to move away from veterans, slow to cut guys, all that kind of stuff. My question is, if they run out two guys at the beginning of the season on the right side of the line, Abwehi and Hopkins, Fisher and Redmond, whoever it is, if it's not working, how quick are they to pull out the old goatee hook, if you will, and, and get those guys out of there and make a change? Do you think, are you pretty confident that Pollock would say, dude, this isn't working. We, we got to make a change. Or is he going to be a little, you know, old school, uh, you know, thick headed, if you will, yeah. in, in terms of sticking with those guys, because we've seen Marvin do it and Marvin hires these guys. I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know if anybody knows, but can you get any kind of sense or are you, are we just kind of flipping a coin in the air? This is dangerous for me because I'm about to give an optimistic answer. Okay. I don't usually like doing that, but I I would say, I would say that Pollock has general would generally have a short leash primarily just because that he's not like trying out the same guys in first string right now. He's just trying a lot of different permutations on their right side. And I think that kind of speaks for, what his mentality is at this position right now. He's quoted on saying, you know, I'm not going to decide this. The players are going to decide this on the field. And that's, that's, it sounds like coach speak, but just from what we've seen from him so far, I think we might have to take it to be true. And it's a little optimistic from, from me personally, but I think if something doesn't end up working out over the first couple of weeks, we could see a change, but more importantly, um, I think the cohesion on, on this offense line needs to be considerably better than last yeah. year and like just in general like the most successful teams in the league they have all five of their starters play you know over 90 percent of the snaps and uh, too much interchangement on that line it just creates a lot of disruption and, and then all, all that chemistry and all that gelling just kind of evaporates so they need to find their five guys as soon as possible and they need all gel as quickly as possible and hopefully that will continue throughout the regular season yeah and you know you can obviously talent is still paramount especially in the nfl but You've all, you've heard the old adage, especially on the offensive line, that it's almost as if cohesion and being able to to work well together up front is as important, if not sometimes even more important, than just raw talent. 
Um, you know, these guys, especially, you know, the center's got to communicate the calls and, and everybody, you know, everybody's got to know what they're doing. They got to know what the guy next to them is doing um, in, in order to, to execute properly. It's kind of an old NFL adage, if you will, but um, I still think it rings true. And I, I think it's a great point about cohesion. Talking with John Sheeran about uh, his camp observations here. He was at practice, Bengals practice on Monday. John, uh, before we kind of move into a different topic, I guess, I, I mean, we could talk defense a little bit in terms of some of the young guy, you know, the young pass rushers they brought in um, over the past couple of years. I, you know, I think we know, at least we hope we know who Carl Lawson is at this point. Um, any, just quickly, I guess the, the thing is with the, with the defense, there's a lot of veteran faces on there, but there's a couple of new additions, Chris Baker, Preston Brown, that sort of thing. But th there's a lot of continuity on that side of the ball. So I think we kind of know what we're getting, but, um, I, I guess Sam Hubbard, number one, uh, if he showed anything, um, and number two, is there a different type of vibe? You went, you went to last year's, uh, a practice in last year's camp, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so is there a difference in terms of tempo, aggression, that sort of thing between Terrell Austin and Paul Gunther that you immediately noticed or at the end of the day noticed, that sort of thing? I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was that noticeable, primarily, primarily because like the drills so far have been very offensive friendly. Yeah. And like we've seen like Drake or Patrick getting burned a couple of times by John Ross. We've seen Tyler Boyd kind of coming into his own as a route yeah. runner and getting a lot of separation. And, you know, you could view that as growth by those receivers or just incompetence by those defensive backs. And typically like these drills favor the favor the receivers because there's not a lot of contact. It's just purely a one-on-one -on -one situation and stuff like that. But again, like kind of similar with the offensive line, we're going to learn more, about like the defense as the, as practices are you know start coming in the, on on the defensive line I think um, I think one on ones have have favored the defensive line specifically with the rotational guys like Hubbard I have seen him get into the backfield a couple times I've seen him even Glasgow get some pressure against uh, Alex Redman at one point which is really good just really good to see because Glasgow Glasgow is not really much of a pass rusher. So if he can get a little more explosion, he could become an asset if he's going to continue lining up at three technique. Um, I think the group is probably the defensive line. That is, is probably their best group on the entire team. So <clears> to have, you know, not, not just the three pass rushers on third down being Lawson Dunlap and um, uh, Atkins, obviously, but if they can get a, a few more, like, like if Hubbard, you know, starts generating some pressure early on from maybe that nickel three tech spot or if Willis develops into, into a solid edge rusher on his own. If you can get like five, maybe even six, you know, decent pass rushers on that unit, you know, the entire defense is going to improve. But the most important thing that we need to see is if they can, is if they can uh, hold their own up the middle against run defense, because that was the number one weakness besides obviously creating turnovers, but they were one of the worst teams last last year in defending the run and they got gassed at the middle. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, they had, you know, a revolving door uh, middle linebacker last year with injuries and their nose tackle play wasn't very good. So Andrew Billings needs to continue having a great camp. Uh, he needs to really come into his own in year three, Chris Baker, at least needs to be a slight upgrade over Pat Sims and Preston Brown needs to stay healthy because I think he's going to be at the very least a solid middle linebacker. And I think we've seen kind of all those things so far in training camp. Yep. Special teams. And then we'll move on. Um, and unfortunately Scott and his love for kickers is not here to, to kind of discuss some of that stuff, but uh, 
I guess I guess we'll start there. I don't think, uh, to be honest, we talked about this last episode. I, th- I don't think there's much of a battle. Um, I don't know if you paid attention to that group at all, but it seems to be Randy Bullock's job easy, by far to lose. Yeah. Uh, any you know any any update there? Anything interesting there? Did he have a terrible day? Did he have a great day? Or just was he just cruising around in shorts and kicking balls around? I mean. Um, yeah, actually, Brown and Bullock got pretty equal opportunities as kickers, but Brown missed considerably more, and mm. he missed he missed like so wide left this one time. I I, I thought it was going to hit Paul Brown Stadium. Um, <laughs> he he also botched the kickoff a little bit. Like, I mean, Brown's got a strong leg. I think he I think his leg is strong stronger than Bullock, but he's not he's not there to compete with Bullock. He's just he's just there as an insurance policy if yeah. this happens to Bullock. And you know, if Brandy Bullock's going to be the kicker unless something. You know, tragic happens to him personally, but just based off what I saw, like J- Brown, he, he's he's a, he's a nice kid and he's he's got a strong leg, but he needs to really shore up that accuracy. And I hope that he does get some chances in the preseason, just just because we already know what Bullock is. Yeah. So uh, d- another guy that apparently had a couple of nice plays. I don't know if it was at your practice or or n- another recent one. Alex Erickson, a guy who's kind of getting forgotten a little bit. Tyler Boyd's having a nice camp. Josh Malone's having a nice camp. Uh, Ross and Alden Tate. Obviously, er- Erickson's route to and I, he was my maybe surprise cut that I that we mentioned. Um, his route to the final roster is going to be kick returns, maybe very limited, continued very limited wide receiver help. But did you see anything number one from him or number two? Did you were there any creative kind of idea? Did John Ross field kicks or punts at all did Gio Bernard did Joe Mixon did um you know maybe somebody else that's that we haven't really been paying attention to or is it just kind of been Erickson and uh, maybe Karan White or some of the other undrafted free agents so I'm just going to start by saying Alex Erickson has the best tanned caps on the team I would say that with absolute confidence. <laughs> the best tanned cow. Oh yeah, like he. I mean, he went to Wisconsin, so there's not a lot of sunshine in Wisconsin. But he goes down to Cincinnati, and I swear to God, man, it's like he's he's it's like he's on Jersey Shore. His tan on his calf <laughs> is impeccable, and that's the guy that I, re- I relate with the most because he's he's the most similar to my size, I guess. <laughs> mainly because Randy Bullock is like 250 pounds. Is he hitting the tanning salons or what? I mean, he might be. Like he, he's a very attractive. He's a very attractive dude. I'm 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 sad that he's married and he's taken. But he is he is uh, doing. He is getting the first reps as returner as kick returner, and he's done a decent job. Um, Ross has been getting some chances. Boys been getting some chances. Darius Phillips is usually mm. is actually the last guy um, getting um, return chances, but. I, it's it's still obviously Erickson's job to lose. I think at this point, um, I remember like when he was when he eventually took over for Tate in 2016. A lot of us were a little skeptical if that was actually going to happen, even though he looked so much better in the preseason than Tate at that at, at those duties. And then it happened. So then, so you have to wonder, you know, are they going to be so easily to you know let him go after he took a after he took that job a couple years ago? But they definitely are seeing uh, uh, other options at that spot. Another thing to consider is that I think that they're pretty keen on him being like the backup to like Boyd in the slot on offense. But if Ross can come in and show that he can also operate out of out of the slot, and if they keep LaFell, then maybe uh, Erickson's uh, rec- knee at, at being a receiver kind of diminishes a little bit, and then his importance as a competent returner increases. But I still think Erickson is a solid receiver, and he's shown a little bit of, the, of that capability in camp so far. 
Well, that's interesting and good to know. Um, you know, I, 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 I waver back and forth in terms of, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of want to get the, the football in your most explosive player's hands, even right. if it's a little risky. And that's why I think like a, a Ross returning kicks, something he excelled at in college is, is something that's like, ah, you know, I, I, right. I kind of froth at the mouth at that. In terms of your man crush uh, stuff going on here, buddy, uh, my, my wife really has liked Tyler Eifert. She thinks he's very attractive, uh, except for the, the new mullet. She's not, a, she's not a big fan of the new mullet. But I will make it a goal to get Alex Erickson on this program so that you can, you can gush to him about his tan calves and how yeah. handsome he is. I, I can't promise I won't swoon, but I'll, <laughs> I'll <do> that. <laughs> well, that, that would be a very, very entertaining interview, I think. And, uh, you know, and then I'd have to probably, especially if he makes the team, I'd have to eat crow and say, you know, Oh, you're my surprise cut. Uh, <laughs> I'd look forward to that one, but yeah, not really talking, uh, training camp observations and, uh, other, tidbits of information with John Sheeran, who was at uh, Bengals practice on Monday. One thing kind of backtracking a little bit, just a, just a general update. Uh, we talked about the defensive line. Carlos Dunlap's agent, Drew Rosenhaus, was was recently in town as well. I don't think that was across the newswire uh, when we recorded last week. So it appears as if, you know, we talked about holdouts and all that kind of stuff last week, but it appears as if um, Dunlap and, and his camp are working hard with the Bengals to try and get something done. Um, I don't know, you know, how long, or obviously that, you know, that's all kind of inside information at this point, but, um, I would venture to guess that probably it wouldn't be much more than a, a three-year extension or something like that, just based on his age and everything. He has made it known. He said publicly he would love to, to retire a Bengals player. So, um, and he hopes that they get something done, but obviously it's got to make sense. So, um, you know, in case you hadn't heard, Carlos Dunlap's uh, agent is in, and and he plays hardball. Drew Rosenhaus, um, he's he's been in Cincinnati to talk to the Bengals brain trust. So it seems as if he is trying to work out a new deal for Dunlap. Uh, obviously, we'll cover that both here and on CincyJungle.com if and when that does come through. The Bengals are pretty good about getting deals done during training camp and during the summer, or, or extensions to guys that are set to expire. Um, they did it with Dunlap. They did it with the Atkins. They did it with Dalton. They've done it with a number of different guys. Perfect um, over the years. So it's it's kind of one of their mos as well. Uh, so you know, don't be surprised if it if it happens, especially since he's been a solid citizen and a, and a good producer for the team. But just another little tidbit of information. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran. We are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, at cincyjungle.com, and you can get in touch with us via Twitter at BengalsOBI and via email, theobinsider at gmail.com with any questions, comments. We are taking some listener questions at the end of the show. Before we do, though, John, there is one uh, little topic, and then we're going to get to a couple announcements as well. But one topic I wanted to get to, and this was something that I was asked to actually write for cincyjungle.com. I guess it's because I'm the freaking old man on deck or something. I don't know. But it was really basically your favorite memory of the Bengals since, you know, the 80s, something like that. Um, there were a number of, there are a number that a couple of different moments that I uh, fought with um, both in kind of the more modern time and all that. And, and really the premise of it, and my, this, I wrote the post, it should go up either, I don't know, it should go up later this week, I think. But 
the premise of it is, you know, name a, a specific moment in Bengals history, not necessarily, oh, that win or, oh, those that winning streak or any anything like that. It's like a specific play or a specific moment. And then, you know, the memories that you personally associate with that moment, being a, a fan or someone that covers the team, that sort of thing. So I went back to date myself. I went back to 19, it was January of 89 when the Bengals made their second Super Bowl. And the moment that, well, let me, let me backtrack for a second. There are a couple other moments I, I thought about, and one of which, again, was in the 80s. And it was, maybe it was 1990. I can't truly remember, but it was a game. Um, I'll look that up. But it was a game with the Houston Oilers, and the Bengals uh, shot up to a, God, what was it, a 50, I think it was a 61-3 to lead over the Oilers because Sam Weish and uh, – Sam Weish and then Oilers head coach Jerry Glanville absolutely hated each other. Absolutely hated. And this was like when the division had Chuck Knoll, Hall of Fame coach of, of the Steelers. Sam Weish, really eccentric, pretty pretty successful coach. Glanville even had some success with, with the Oilers. I mean, they they just had cartoon characters as, as coaches <laughs> at, the, at this point. Um, and I think it was 1990. I'm, I'm trying to look it up here. Um, I think it was 1990 where Weiss just absolutely ran the score up on, uh, it might have been 89. Was it 89? Um, yeah, I think it was 1989. But he absolutely ran the score up. And it was, there was, God, I think, I think maybe just under a minute left. Yeah. So, on, it was uh, week 15 in 1989. <laughs> the final score was 61 to seven. And what had happened, I think the Bengals had, uh, they ended up getting the, I, I forget what happened, but they got the ball back and <laughs> or they, they were kicking off. They had just scored. They were kicking off to the Oilers. And I think they onside kicked it, recovered it, moved the ball down with under a minute left and kicked an additional field goal to make it 61 to seven. So it was just like this kind of series of moments that was just unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. And it was, it was hilarious. And there's a, there was a top 10 NFL network thing about top 10 rivalries. And they talked about the old AFC central and Glanville and Weish talked about it um, with old interviews and stuff. And it was really, really funny. So if you have the chance, I look, I look it up, check it out. It was, it was basically just hilarious. Um, yeah. And uh, so that was kind of one moment. But the one I, I ended up writing about was, uh, and I guess it's it's kind of a little a little tacky because it's a Super Bowl moment and uh, it's one of the biggest plays really in Bengals history. And that was Stanford Jennings' 93-yard kickoff return that he uh, scored a touchdown against the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 23. And the reason I went to that moment is because I kind of I, I told you before the show, John, you know, I was like six years old at the time. I just have certain, even though, you know, certain parts of that day are vague memories because it's, you know, almost 30 years ago for me now. I remember specifically certain parts of that day and certain parts specifically around that play. Um, and I've mentioned a few times for those who have followed my work or kind of know who I am. My older brother was the one who got me into the Bengals and he was there. And at that point he was God 14 probably. Um, 
and you know, it, it was kind of one of the first memories I really have of he and I watching a game and intently rooting for the Bengals. And um, we kind of felt like, wow, they're gonna they're gonna win the Super Bowl. Obviously, there's some other memorable moments, both negative and positive. Um, mostly negative. Tim Crumrie broke his leg in that game. Um, you know, Joe Montana came back and and won the game. You know, there's all kinds of stuff, but. Overall, that was a play where you thought it, it happened at the end of the third quarter and you thought like, wow, you know, the Bengals, it, it was six to six at that point towards the end of the third quarter and, and Jennings returned that kick and it, it really sparked the Bengals because um, they needed something and it was the, the only touchdown they scored in that game, uh, which was surprising given what that offense did for that, that year. Yeah. Um, um, but that's kind of just, you know, I, 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 and the post is going to come up. There's some more details in terms of what I reminisce about where it was at, it was at my great, uh, great aunt and uncle's house in Marina del Rey, which is a sub suburb of LA kind of more waterfront. And, uh, it was this cool bitchin' house that, um, reminds you of like something out of like a, a, a mad men loft. It was like a three tiered deal. It had like its own little like wet bar area yeah. and, it had like a backyard where random peacocks would come and just chill out and then they'd get out of there. It, super random house. It was like really big and really weird, but um, it was just, you know, memories like that uh, based around one single play. Um, and, and, you know, I kind of, kind of became hooked from that, from that point on for the Bengals, obviously now with the access we have to watching games and social media and all that kind of stuff, it's much, much easier to get information and watch games than it was then. But uh, that's kind of, and it's one of really one of my earliest memories of the team. So I, I guess that that is uh, something that I like to reminisce about in a moment that I remember. How about you? Do you have a moment or two and some memories associated with that um, that, that are kind of personal? Uh, you don't have to get super personal with yeah. it if you don't want, but um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I used to go to, um, I think he cut out a little bit. No, I'm good. Oh, I'm good. Cool. Um, I used to go to games with my dad, and he used to go to games with his dad. Uh, Originally, when the team first uh, played at Nippert Stadium, when they first um, were conceived in 1968, and then he had season tickets in Paul and Riverfront Stadium, and then Paul Brown Stadium. They were section 203. Row 22, seats 7 and 8, and it was right next to the club section. And that's where me and my dad sat for almost every game for at least eight years, I think. And I remember just one game. It was 2009, home game against the Steelers. And my half my family, or half my, my mom and my sister are Steelers fans. My mom's uh, family was originally from Pittsburgh, so she's a big Steelers fan. My sister adopted the Steelers because... My mom, my, obviously, my mom's dad was a Steelers fan. I chose the Bengals because my friends got me into it, and we had this big tailgate uh, for for that game. And my friends who my friends who got me into the Bengals, we always went down and tailgated uh, in next to the stadium with them. We always went to the games with them, but they sat somewhere else. We had this big tailgate with my with my family and their family, and there's like some Steelers, a lot of Bengals, and it was. It, it, it just kind of encapsulated my experience going to the games with my dad and having both like Steelers blood and Bengals blood. And that game was specifically memorable because it was during that season when the Bengals had a bunch of comeback wins. This, this particular win was with a Carson Palmer touchdown pass to Andre Caldwell over the middle in one of the, like one of the final seconds. So that was, and I remember like high five with my dad and, 
uh, high-fiving with people around me uh, who, who we knew in that section. So that was kind of like the most memorable moment I had in the stadium just because it just encapsulated my entire fandom. But I think the one that I remember the most was actually not in the stadium. It was the 2015 um, victory over the Seattle Seahawks in, yeah, in, 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 in the middle of their so awesome. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yep. It, it was my freshman year of college and I lived in maybe the, the worst uh, dor dormitory in society, but I consider it the best Dabney hall. It's the oldest dorm on campus. It's really, you know, run down and dinky, but we had the, we, we had the floor of the carpets. So we, we consider ourselves the cool, the cool floor, but honestly the first month and a half that was in, that was in that dorm, I wasn't really social with people there. And, um, like people like knew of me, they knew me as a Bengals fan and I would sit in my room on Sunday. My roommate would usually go home and we had a TV in there and I would watch the Bengals games. And this, and obviously this game was so crazy. And for the people who were in the dorm, they were all watching the games in their room. And one of my, one of my first friends that I made in, in that dorm, his name was a uh, Brady Zuber. Uh, shout out to Brady Zuber. If he's watching, he's probably not. Uh, he was watching, he was watching the game cause he's a big football fan across the hall. So I ended up watching like the overtime of that game, like freak, freak the hell out, you know, um, in his room just to have some company. And I specifically remember when, when Mike Nugent kicked that field goal, that field goal that hit out of the room like sprinted up and down the hall like screaming i can hear other screams my, my ra was out of the door he was like high five at me and it was just i don't know it, it was it was obviously a great win but it was i think it was for me like a turning point for for that year because after that um i started hanging out with a lot of other people in the dorm and it was just kind of like it just it, i just kind of associate like my the start of like my freshman year with with that moment and that great win that's awesome i i have a good friend who not not as occasionally more since he has two two kids, but he would come to quite a few uh, get-togethers where we watch the Bengals games. And one of the first ones he did after his daughter was born, his first daughter, um, was that game. And I think – and he has been – he just loves football. He loves fantasy football. He loves football. He's not a Bengals fan. Um not at all, <laughs> but he enjoys watching football and watching games and all that kind of stuff. And he came over, he actually, you know, kind of gives me the, the business about the Bengals a lot, you know? Um, and of course he came over at the point when the Bengals were down in that game, what, like 21 to seven or something. And I'm yeah. like, oh, and I'm like, Oh crap, here it comes. He's like, oh, <laughs> and at the end, cause it, it started just getting ridiculous what the Bengals were doing right to come back in that game. I, you know, I, I go back to, I think it was a Dalton scramble touchdown and then Eifert made that ridiculous diving catch. And then yep. it, it, there was just so many things that were like, what this, this, these are the things that don't happen for the Bengals. Exactly. Right? Yep. And, and they were in the middle of that winning streak and all that kind of stuff. And at the end after, and Newt, Nugent doinked that thing in, didn't he? The, the last yeah, one or it was one off, of them. It was off the upright. Yeah. yeah one of them he doinked in. Um, and afterwards he just looked at me, he's like, that was one of the most, fun football games I have ever watched. Yep. And he, he was like, you know, I'm not a Bengals fan. He actually, he likes, he's an SC guy. So he likes Pete Carroll and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and he was like, I'm stoked you guys won. That was like a really, really fun game to watch. And at that point I was like, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, so I, so I definitely remember, and I still have that game saved on my DVR at home because <laughs> anytime I finally need a good memory, I need to like, just do a little quick. All right. All right. Like, you know, if they lose a game, yeah. you know, so um, very good memory there. I, that, that game was, that game was so fun. Oh, that was yep. a fun game to watch. We've got a couple of, uh, 
memories in from guys in our YouTube chat. And I got to give a shout out to Kenneth McClendon Jr. Because I don't know if you know, he, he mentioned this last week and I kind of overlooked it. He is the son of former Bengals player Skip McClendon. And Skip McClendon was on that Super Bowl team that I mentioned. Um, and I definitely remember him. I've got, I've got playing cards of him and all kinds of stuff. So very cool that his son is still into the Bengals and super flattering that he is uh, joining our podcast. That's awesome. And uh, Kenneth, if your dad Skip ever wants to come on, man, we'd love to talk to him. We'd love to interview him. I don't know. I don't know if he's available, but uh, um, fun player, obviously, and one of the one of the most fun teams there. So, uh, and if he doesn't want to come on, that's okay. Tell him what's up, anyways, from us. But very cool. And he said, my dad still gets pissed every Super Bowl Sunday seeing that game. Uh, <laughs> meaning the game that they lost. Yeah, can't blame him on that one. Um, Christopher Higdon says, I was at the Houston 61-7 to game and the 34-7 to Seattle game in 86. Wow. Um, that That's that's pretty cool. Uh, I thought we had one more in there, but no, nah, that's, that's, that's about it there. But uh, cool memories, and obviously everybody, you know, whether they shared them or not, everybody has memories. And I, I also mentioned, you know, sometimes watching a Bengals game, whether it's at your house with buddies or family or whatever, that's kind of your crew and that's your memory. That's what you remember. And other times it's when you're at a game, maybe you're only with a friend, a family member. But, I mean, for me, when I go to, to Paul Brown Stadium, I don't know anybody because I'm not from that area. Right. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm high-fiving random strangers and all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and so, you know, it's moments like that, too, where you're like, dude, you know, kind of a camaraderie that I've been to so many other Bengals games in person where I have to sit there and, like, obviously there's all kinds of people around me, you know, for the other team, and it's, it's not as fun. It's not as fun. But um, good memory there, John. And uh, we'll be posting that on SB Nation and Cincy Jungle, and we want to hear your feedback both on this program and – um, when that post go up, goes up, so you can you can check that out. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran. We are both with SB Nation and Cincy Jungle. We thank you for tuning in. Uh, please subscribe and uh, download our programs on various channels, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. Uh, you can also get all of our stuff on cincyjungle.com. And via, you can get in touch with us via email, theobinsider at gmail.com, and via Twitter at BengalsOBI. Um, We've got a couple announcements to make here, John, and one of which is actually about finding ways to get in touch with us. Um, there, since we started this this show uh, over two years ago, we um, have tried to find a way because we do we like to do listener questions and all that kind of stuff. We have tried to find a way. For, for listeners to call in or to text in if uh, they, they're able to join us live. And I think we finally found a way to do that, John. Um, so I have a number that is set up. Um, we can try and test it out tonight. I can't, pro I tested it out with a couple of different people today. Um, it seemed to have worked in terms of both call and text. Um, we can try it out tonight. I can't promise. We might, we may have to go through some kinks and stuff, but if we have some listeners that would prefer to call or text in um, the phone number and keep in mind that data rates and all that kind of stuff apply. I, I don't run the mobile network, so whatever. And it's not an 800 number, unfortunately, but the number to use is 
542-6241. And if you want to send a text or uh, we can try a call, um, not sure how, how great that's going to work initially, but we could try it. If you, if you want to try it, again, 949-542-6241. Otherwise, leave your questions on Twitter or in the live YouTube chat on the Cincy Jungle chat. We're going to try and slowly ease into using this number for listeners to both call in for listener questions and or text in if, uh, you know, maybe – you're not on YouTube or what have you when we're recording, but somehow you're listening to us. Um, so use it. Don't abuse it. Use it. Uh, we have an, an opportunity to do that. And I think we just got one, my friend. We got a text. So let's, uh, let's check it out. Uh, it's Evan Hill. Uh, watching the show, just testing it out. Love, love the show. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate that. Um, got another one. Uh, this is Kenneth McClendon, Skip Son. I will get you his info. He would love to jump on. I would love that. Let's let's get him on. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love that. Um, so appreciate you tuning in. I, th I think we're getting uh, some some people co calling in, texting in. That's good. So we're gonna try it out. Um, if if it's easier for you, that's awesome. Like I said, we do this live. We take the questions live, all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's there's ways to do that where you don't need to use your phone. But if it's e if you prefer text and call. Let's do it, and uh, we'll try it out, and hopefully it evolves into something cool for the listener questions. It is something that I have uh, been wanting to do for a long time and wasn't sure if I had it set up right. I started tinkering with it actually today, and it seems as if I've got some stuff set up at least correctly, somewhat correctly, to get in touch with, with people. So if you want to do that, again, 949-542-6241 is the number. And uh, it will not be active when the show is not being recorded live, guys. I don't think. Well, I mean, you can send texts and stuff, I guess, if you want. But for the most part, it's going to be live. Uh, it's going to be when we do live. Second piece of information, and this will uh, this goes into Kenneth McClendon a little bit and his and his father Skip. Um, I have been able to. Um, and I'm finalizing the details for it, but I, uh, as of now, I'm going to be able to interview on this show, Anthony Munoz, the hall of fame offensive tackle for the Bengals. Um, I've, I've kind of been doing some reaching out and all that kind of stuff and heard back from his assistant and we are tentatively set for next week to interview him. Now, unfortunately this will not be when we normally record live just based on Mr. Munoz's schedule and when we record and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to have to be something that we kind of pre-record and then we'll add it into the normal podcast, all that kind of stuff. But he's going to give us about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, we're not sure if we'll have him actually on video or if it'll just kind of be a call or what have you yet. Still kind of ironing out that stuff, but he is generously offering his time. Um, he's going to talk to us obviously about the Bengals, maybe a little USC Trojans. And uh, he's also going to be talking about what he's doing with his charity and all that kind of stuff. So obviously the greatest Bengal of all time. We are stoked to be able to land him. Unfortunately, I, I wish I could say we would be doing it when we do the live show, but um, schedules just do not permit, unfortunately. But uh, should be an entertaining interview. Really looking forward to that. Um, so those are a couple of announcements we have going uh, for the show and, and a couple of big ones. So pretty excited about that. And then we might have 
uh, some connections to to some other interviews. Uh, Skip McClendon, it sounds like, might be one, which is awesome. Uh, and then, you know, some other guys uh, that, that are associated with the team. And, um, you know, we still want to bring in other SB Nation folks and all kinds of stuff, especially as the season goes on. So just a couple of uh, pieces of information with the show that we're pretty excited about. Um, and obviously, we will let you know as more interviews and more other information comes up because uh, we we want to get you these access to these guys. So pretty excited about that, John. Absolutely, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. Huh? Well, I, I, in the world, <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, you know I kind of finalized most of the details today. Um, you know, I, I had reached out a little while ago, and then there was kind of a little bit of back and forth, and uh, apparently. Uh, Anthony Munoz was traveling, so uh, you know we couldn't lock him down. But uh, I, I heard back uh, today and kind of started nailing down some details. So it's going to be probably uh, next next Tuesday or Wednesday is is when it's going to be. And uh, so keep keep on. Uh, now, uh, hopefully, I'm not promising something and all of a sudden it doesn't fall through because that that would suck. But <laughs> but as of now, it sounds like he's he's good to go for next week. And uh, so that interview will be up on all of our channels and then we'll be added into the final uh, final show, final product of the show as well. So look look for that. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Let's get to a couple of um, listener questions before we get out of here. Um, there was one here. I guess... It's kind of about who's going to start at will linebacker for Vontaze Perfect. We talked about the linebacker core last year, or last week, excuse me. But there's been growing, like if you hear Vinny Ray and all that kind of stuff about Malik, Malik Jackson, uh, not Malik Jackson, Malik Jefferson. Gosh, hello. <laughs> be nice to have Malik Jackson. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice to have him. Um, Malik Jefferson, he has been saying he's the quote-unquote AFC North type of linebacker, and he looks good out there. Um, I don't know. I, do you think Vinny Ray is that guy that's going to be the will, or do you think it's – especially now that you've been at practice since the last time we talked about it, what do you think? Um, so Jordan Evans has been taking first-team snaps at, yeah. will, at will backer. Uh, more importantly, uh, he's been on the field when uh, – whenever the Bengals are in nickel in practice next to Nick Vigil. Uh, I think that's how it's going to start, at least in the beginning of the preseason. Uh, last year, Evans had a fantastic preseason, and if he can you know, duplicate that performance this year, he's going to end up uh, starting next to Preston Brown at weak side linebacker and then playing the majority of the snaps on defense because the Bengals are, are in nickel more times than they are in base. And specifically, like Evans... He's not necessarily a weak side linebacker. He's just an outside linebacker. Like Vigil and Vigil and Evans, they can line up at both weak side and strong side. Neither of them are necessarily an inside linebacker per se, but Evans, I guess, is that first guy um, off the bench to play that kind of pursuit backer, if you will. And I think he, I think he should be pretty good at it because he kind of came onto his own uh, at the end of last year as a pursuit run defender and as obviously the year went on he started becoming a little bit more comfortable in coverage and if he can continue to be a better player in space obviously he has the athleticism that no one else besides maybe jefferson has in that group it would be a tremendous boost to that uh, linebacking group and i think that's how it's gonna begin to play out as these games start to happen yeah I, you know I, I've been hearing about Evans and him uh, kind of being the, the first guy in that in that 
starting spot. I do think, like we said last week, I think there's going to be a rotation. I think there's going to you're going to see guys kind of migrate in and out, and I think you're going to see. I, I, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, there's been a couple of issues with uh, coverage from the linebackers so far in practice, and that speaks to the wide receivers playing well and and the tight ends being healthy and all of that. But I think there's going to be, you know. Jesse Bates out there and, you know, other, you know, Darquez Denard's going to get a lot of looks at as kind of the third guy out there. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's always going to be three standard linebackers. Right. And, and uh, you know, we know, we know, even though it was kind of the Mike Zimmer, Paul Gunther thing where they like to line up a nickel often, I think that that will continue, especially since the fact they just used a second round pick on a safety um, that seems to be pretty athletic. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I think a lot – uh, especially early in the season, I think they're going to at least uh, try to implement these three safety looks uh, specifically on nickel where they would have maybe Nick Vigil and George Iloka at like a pseudo linebacker, like a just a box safety guy who's basically a linebacker in that spot. Maybe they have three safeties when they go in base and have two traditional linebackers and Iloka or Williams playing in the box. I think they're going to just try to see compensate around not having perfect out there. And it could be a, I don't want to say a blessing in disguise, but it could be an opportunity to see, okay, can, you know, I look and Williams operate better more consistently when they're playing closer to the line of scrimmage. Can they be you know, solid run defenders in that, in that position? And, you know, can the defense look good when we're trying to get Bates on the field with the other two safeties? So that's definitely an experience experiment that I would like to see them try. And I think they're going to end up doing it. Yeah, and as you kind of alluded to earlier, last year the Bengals had, especially at the linebacker spot, um, some major issues with tackling. And mm -hmm. I think that's why Preston Brown was brought in because he is a sure tackler. Sure, he's not the most explosive game-breaking linebacker, but they had problems getting guys down upon first contact, second contact quite often. And uh, that's something that they really want to work on as well as creating those game-breaking interceptions, fumble recoveries, all that kind of stuff as well. So uh, going to be interesting to kind of see how they mix and match all that stuff uh, there. That was from, I don't know if it was – Atris or Atrice Kelly that in our live YouTube chat, that question. Evan Hill, how new is this offense going to be from what we have seen over the past few years? What differences do you see like in terms of play calling? Uh, I, yeah, so the whole thing is that it's like a refreshed like look and you know a lot more simpler concepts and stuff like that. Uh, I think in general, like the – the formula for a successful offense of Randy Dalton has been kind of what was in that 2015 where you spread, you spread out the formation a lot. You get guys in space, um, a lot of zone blocking from the offensive line. I would say a lot of zone reads, stretch runs, RPOs, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think in general, like the difference could be mainly in just in tempo, like more fast paced kind of stuff because, um, like, uh, like again, like adjustments at the line of scrimmage and like play calling will be a little bit uh, more, more simpler, more frequent, I guess, if you, if you will. Um, but I think that they're going to try to utilize Ross in as many ways as possible, whether that's in the slot, you know, as an underneath guy or as a vertical threat and just try to and also to get running backs more involved in the passing game, specifically with Joe Mixon. I think he was, underused last year as a receiver and i think to get him more involved in the flats and also lining him out in the slot could be something that we see more of mainly it'll be about 
those, you know, Eifert and Ross staying healthy in order for all of this to actually work. Because if, you know, both those guys go down, then the whole dynamic of the offense might shift. So for what they want to do, those guys have to stay healthy. And I think if they do, you'll see a lot more of a spread out um, type of look or type of offense in general. A lot of air coil type of vertical concepts as well. We, we had a call, but uh, unfortunately we couldn't field it uh, at the time. So if you want to call back, we'll, we'll try and get to you right away there. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And I think we talked a little bit about um, the kind of the ease of things for, for players. And I think because there are new faces, there are young faces on this team. Um, you know, I think that's critical. All right, we're going to try out. We're gonna try out our first call here. Hopefully it uh, hopefully it works out. To accept, press one. To send a voicemail, press two. Hi, who's this? This is Terrell. How you doing? Welcome to the Orange and Black Insider. First, first, uh, first caller. Oh <laughs> wow. Well, welcome, welcome to the show. I, I guess we're kind of getting it working here. Uh, what can we answer for you? Oh, I, I, what can we answer for you? In, in terms of you, you think that they will be successful and be a hot commodity on the market, or you or you're um, you're scared that they're not going to be effective, even even because Marvin's still there and the changes aren't. Good question, Terrell. We're gonna we're gonna answer you off the air here. Appreciate your calling. You're the, you're the first caller, buddy. All right, you too. So interesting question there, John. I, I think could you could you hear him okay? Yeah, he was talking about a fear of being good, which is a very <laughs> yeah, question. it's a good problem to have. But he's you know he's not wrong because he, I mean, when the Bengals were in the middle of that playoff run. You know, Jay Gruden, Hugh Jackson, Mike Zimmer, Vance Joseph. I mean, they lost a lot of guys to big promotions. Now, Jay Gruden and Vance Joseph haven't necessarily done spectacular work in the, as head coaches quite yet. But, uh, you know, there's some positives there. But 
I mean, Lewis, all of a sudden, after, you know, so many years where the Bengals were so bad and, you know, they weren't getting promotion, like they've all of a sudden built kind of this little tree, uh, a coaching tree of Marvin Lewis. So it's really not that far-fetched of a plan. Now, I don't think this, unless the Bengals have like an insane year this year and, you know, go far in the playoffs and all of a sudden, you know, Bill Lazor becomes a hot, you know, hot commodity. I do think Terrell Austin is probably, because there was talk of him being kind of a hot head coaching candidate a little bit. Um, I think he's probably maybe the first guy off the table, if you will, in terms of being mm-hmm. hired elsewhere. But uh, I still think it's probably going to take a year or two of the Bengals kind of sustaining su- success again. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So, yeah, there's that aspect where, you know, they uh, like there's an aspect of them going from really bad in some areas to potentially really good. And that one year turnaround could get the notice of, you know, other teams looking for, you know, upgrades at their coaching staff. And there's also the, the aspect of obviously, you know, this has just been one year. Let's, let's see if these guys can do it for another year. And another thing with that is that while they've had a lot of like coaching turnover, they've also at the same time had a lot of roster turnover, which when you combine both of them and having at the same time can lead to some consistency uh, turmoil and whatnot. But if the coaches, you know, that he was talking about Pollock uh, offensive line, uh, Bicknell, I think at wide receivers coach, I think it's his name. Uh, laser offensive coordinator if they can develop the talent that's already here and they can do a good job with that and then they leave it'll be less stressful for the new coaches to come in and just pick up where they left off once that talent is already here and it's developed and it's you know ready to go from day one because these coaches are still in the process of of developing that talent that the past coaches couldn't do uh, before they were uh, terminated from the team so as long as the talent is still there it'll be less stressful for any new coaches to come in and kind of pick up where they left off. And obviously the coaches still have to do a good job of that and coming in uh, first year. But uh, like, as long as the talent's there, like coaching turnover is not like the biggest issue that you would have to worry about, I guess. Yeah. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see just how big of an impact and just how big of an immediate impact some of these new assistant coaches, some of these new coordinators are going to have on this team. We, you know, you've heard about, I mean, that was the big change this offseason, really. I mean, you know, they, they didn't do it at the head coaching spot. So what they did is they kind of did a lot of changes at the assistant coaching level, the coordinator level. Yeah, they got a couple more pieces in free agency than they did the, the prior years. But, um, you know, that's uh, so it's going to be kind of interesting there. I, we did get another text, John, from Scott Grubbs, going back to kind of both coaching and the offense question uh, before we took that call there. Uh, I noticed that will be RPO concepts. That'll be exciting. Did you see any of that in camp or uh, were they kind of keeping under wraps or were they doing a lot of it? <laughs> uh, their like base run is like a read op- is just a read option run, which is pretty similar to an RPO, but I, I, it's something that's going to be not like every, it's not specifically a Bengals thing. It's not necessarily new in the NFL. It's just being like uh, idolized more now. It's becoming like more popular with like just watching on like on Sundays and whatnot. It'll, it'll be a part of the offense and under Hugh Jackson, they did that a lot. And that's kind of how where it first like started to yeah. get mobilized in terms of popularity in the NFL. They're going to run it because it's effective. It's like statistically one of the more effective plays that you can run in today's NFL because it's just, it's so strenuous on uh, force defenders for the defense to choosing, you know, whether it collapse down the back or stay contained on the quarterback. And, Obviously, it creates a lot of open passing lanes for the receivers. So it's going to obviously be a part of it. It would be stupid of any offense to not implement RPOs into their into their offense. And I think with Laser's background as the Chip Kelly disciple, 
um, it's going to be definitely part of his refresh scheme. Yeah, and uh, kind of one one last little quick question before we get out of here for the night, John. I know it's late on your end. I uh, appreciate you sticking around and, uh, you know, giving us your time here. But, um, you know, obviously the RPO makes sense with the talent at running back that the Bengals have, Gio and, and Joe Mixon. Uh, we had a question from Kenneth Kenneth McClendon earlier, uh, earlier tonight, just real quick. Got both guys stay healthy. Is this a top 10 duo in the, in the NFL, Gio and Mixon? It has potential to be, yeah, um, based off just pure talent. Um, I, I typically, I like to look at – I like to have the list of, like, the other guys in front of me to, like, in order to make that statement. But mm-hmm. I think the 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 um, the uh, t- the touch share, if you will, it'll be similar to, like, when Jeremy Hill was here and when he was good and Gio. So, like, Mixon will get around 220, 230 carries. Gio will get, you know, in the range of, like, 160 or whatever – and Gio might get a little bit more receptions than yeah. mixed, but that that it'll, it'll mainly be like a 60 to 40, 65, 35 split between the two. And I, I, I think that with a better offense line in front of them, they can obviously do more damage because they won't be tasked to create more for themselves. But the important thing is that Mixon um, is a better overall running back than Hill, not only just as a physical, uh, just as an athlete, but also just the intangibles and just reading his gaps and just vision wise. And he can do, you can run the same concepts with Gio and Mixon, and you couldn't really do that with Hill because Hill was more of a guy out of the I formation with a fullback in front of them. And Gio could do anything from the shotgun to the I formation. And I think when you have that versatility and that um, interchangeability, if you will, that uh, Atlanta does so well with Devontae Foreman and Tevin Coleman, you have two guys who can do similar things. It just makes the whole offense more effective because you can have them rotating in and out and the offense just not missing a beat. So just an overall just talent and versatility and interchangeability, it has potential to be in that top 10 range for sure. Yeah. And one thing I just want to add just about that. I, I, yes, I do think that they could easily be a top 10 group if, if the blocking holds up um, and both guys stay healthy. Cause I think both guys are very talented. I'm going to say this about Giovanni Bernard because you know, a lot of people like him and yeah, he's good. He's good. You know, he can, he's a really good receiver. Well, I, I got to tell you, and I wrote a piece on this, I think it was last year. Go, go look at the film of what Giovanni Bernard does in terms of blocking. Um, yeah. And in terms of uh, what he can actually do as a smaller quote unquote, smaller back in between the tackles, he's pretty effective. Um, he doesn't mm-hmm. get a lot of those touches because they gave the more of the short yardage stuff to Jeremy Hill over the years. But um go look at what he does in pass protection and go look at what he does uh, in between the tackles. He's a very underrated player in both of those aspects. And, and yes, he is a, a phenomenal receiver. And one could argue that that is probably the strongest point of his game, but he is a very well-rounded running back and uh, one that doesn't get enough due, I think, in, in those areas. Is that something you've seen as well, John? I did a whole film article about Gio's pass protection ability because they, they trust him even to this day, like he's on third down just from, from a training camp for us all when they had like, you know, third down, you know, the Gio's back there in the backfield taking on linebackers. Like he's their best pass blocking running back. And at five, nine, you would think that wouldn't work out against, you know, guys who are six, two, six, three coming off the edge, but his low square base helps so much when he just shoots up into a guy's pads and he's just so stout there. And he just holds his ground so well for just a guy that you just wouldn't expect to do that. But ever since he's been like he he was the better pass blocking back than Jeremy Hill and he's better than Joe Mixon at this point and you wouldn't think that based off his size but the tape does not lie when it comes to that yeah and it says a lot about him 
and the, their reliability of him uh, on him for that because of the issues of the offensive line last year. And, and you know, and unfortunately, it, it takes the ball out of his hands, you know. I mean, because mm-hmm. it, it was almost a necessity last year that they had that extra back there instead of him being a nice outlet for Dalton on third down. He had to be back there and help out because the offensive line was getting beat. So um, check out some of John's work on that. And I, I gosh, maybe it was a, it was two years ago, but I remember that post because I was very impressed at, at what I saw in terms of his pass blocking ability. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We've gone a little long, and I apologize, but it's been a jam packed show. A lot of different stuff. Uh, you can get this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and on CincyJungle.com. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at BanglesOBI and via email theobinsider at gmail.com. And now our, our, our hotline, our hotline. So use it for listener questions. It apparently works, so that's good. And uh, it, it works for text messages as well. So thank you for for uh, tuning in. Thank you for using that. We'll make that part of a staple of the show, I guess, as long as it continues to work. Uh, Thanks to all of you who tune in. We've got some cool stuff coming out, as I mentioned earlier in the show, coming down the pike with the program. So uh, keep it tuned here. Subscribe to those channels. Any final thoughts before we get out of here, John? Yeah. If if Anthony does not close this interview, blow up the phone with like a bunch of hate mail for him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, and i will accept it i will accept i'll, I'll, I'll take it. I, I almost was like hesitant should i should i even like <laughs> you know should i even uh announce it because you know god if for some reason it, it falls through um that wouldn't be good but uh it seems as of as we sit here on tuesday evening it seems as if uh we will be talking with anthony munoz about a week from now um and uh that'll be a treat that'll be a treat especially for me i can fan geek out a little bit on and uh that'll be cool but if it doesn't work out yeah feel free to give me hell that's fine i don't i i, I probably deserve it after teasing teasing all of you with that that's fine uh for john sheeran i'm anthony kazenzen unfortunately co-host scott schultz he couldn't join us tonight but for him as well this has been the orange and black insider Bengals podcast thanks for tuning in thanks for your questions thanks for reaching out and contacting us now uh on a number of different platforms uh, very cool. Enjoy Bengals training camp and uh, preseason's right around the corner. We're, we're going to get start seeing some real football soon. So pretty excited about that. Thanks, John. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smart Water Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.